0: say this every time I listen to that song that if we did believe that victory belongs to Jesus then we will always feel that we're never out or that we're never defeated because he has a plan for our suffering and has a plan for our process. Let us have a seat. If you have your Bibles turn with me to Matthew chapter 3 Matthew chapter 3 If you do not have a Bible, there should be a Bible right underneath your seat in front of you. And you can take that Bible home. That Bible is a gift from Mercy Street Church to you. If you don't know how to read the Bible, that's okay. We have uh, a lot of equipped people here who can teach you and show you how to navigate through the revelatory word of God. Amen. I'm going to read three verses in Matthew chapter 3, although we're going to cover 12 of them, but I want to read three verses here because I think it is the crux of what I am going to talk about today. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and it reads, in those days John the Baptist, or John the one who baptized, came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of of heaven is at hand for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make his path straight eternal father allow your word to penetrate the hearts of the preacher and those sitting in the pews so that we may live in such a way that Jesus Christ is exalted and lifted up. Let no person come in here and leave the same way, but that they might be changed to live a life that is pleasing to you. We love you and we trust you. And it is in Christ's name that we pray Let all the saints say amen. amen. I want to put my cards out on the table first. I wanted to give you my big idea, my proposition, like the very thing that I desire for you to walk away with. And that proposition is a command. It is actually a request that I hope that you will apply to your life, that you will live in such a way that the kingdom of God is being proclaimed throughout all your world. And so here's the proposition. Preach an uncomfortable kingdom message. I'll say it again. Preach an uncomfortable kingdom message. Preach. I'm simply asking you to make a public announcement about the kingdom. I'm asking you to proclaim And to also demonstrate the truth of the kingdom. Now, (laughs) preaching comes with something that is uncomfortable. And the reason why it is uncomfortable is because you are about to go against the sensibilities of human expectation. When you preach the kingdom, you are going to rattle. You are going to shake And you are going to provoke a response against what we call normal and then the kingdom. When you preach an uncomfortable kingdom message, what you are asking of these brothers and sisters that you publicly announce this truth to is to transfer their lives from the kingdom of darkness, the earth, into the kingdom of Christ. Preach an uncomfortable kingdom message. Listen, some of the most uncomfortable things we do also produce life. Some of the things that are so uncomfortable to us, when we walk down that journey, it actually is good for us. Watch this exercise. Exercise is uncomfortable. Now, it is a few crazy people in the crowd who love to exercise. But for the common and sane folks, <laughs> exercise is uncomfortable. It, it raises your heart rate. It tears up your muscles. After you finish squatting, you got like that deer walk where you, you can't put your legs down properly. And yet... I'm standing before you right now, 42 pounds lighter. I couldn't put on this vest a couple of weeks ago because the buttons would have been like this. And I was able to get all the buttons but one, okay, let me see if I can button this up. Let's check. Let's check. I got it. I got it. You like that? I got it, you know. I feel like walking a little bit. You know? I feel like walking a little bit. <laughs> it was uncomfortable. And what makes it uncomfortable, I work out with Jorge because you know he's a trainer. If you want to get your, your muscles on, you want to. But I hate Jorge when we working out. I love him when he's singing up here and playing the drum. But when we walk in that gym, I never say hi to him. It's always what we're doing today. It's uncomfortable, and yet it produces life. My knees don't hurt that much. I can walk from two miles without my back hurting. I can put on nice clothes now. You see that? You like that? I got a lot of ties. I just can't, you know. <laughs> Some things we do that are uncomfortable, they produce life. Conflict. Conflict is uncomfortable. And the reason why we don't like engaging in conflict is because the pain that follows it. But have you ever resolved the conflict? What happens? It brings life. It reconciles. It restores. If you are married, you know what it's like to be in conflict and walking around the house with your spouse. You don't want to talk to her. She don't want to talk to you. You go in the glass and go in the kitchen and get a glass of water, guess who's there? <laughs> I'm gonna get out <laughs> of or, 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 or your best friend. The, the person that you rock with, the person that you talk to every day, the person that you see when you're in conflict with them. Oh my goodness. They say stuff to you that you be like, do you really feel that way? But when you resolve it, it makes things stronger. When you resolve it, it brings things closer. Conflict is hard. And yet God has given us a path on how to do it because it brings forth life. Here's my last one. The gospel. Sharing the gospel Is uncomfortable. Telling people about Jesus to radically change their life is uncomfortable. And yet, when we translate the word gospel, it says good news, but when we share it with somebody, it hurts. But if you've ever baptized someone, If you've ever seen someone go from a thief to an honest person, if you've ever seen someone go from the wretchedness of life to the one who can speak life into someone, it changes your perspective. Guess what? I wouldn't be standing up here if someone didn't share the gospel with me. You wouldn't be standing here if someone didn't share the gospel. Was it comfortable? No. But it brought life. Why do we avoid uncomfortable things that bring life? Because of the pain. The neglect. The consequences. What I would charge you to say then If you are avoiding uncomfortable things that bring forth life, that means your perspective on the goodness and the good news of the gospel is insufficient. It's insufficient. One of the hard things about going through this process was when I went to the doctor and the doctor told me, Jerry, if you don't get your life um, together, um, death is around the corner. That rocked my world. I was like, I got a beautiful wife. I got kids that I want to walk down the aisle with. I got to lead the church. Man, bruh, I got to change. I'm I'm out out at restaurants eating salad, bacon bits and stuff, (laughs) onions. I'm like, man, this stuff is nasty. (laughs) And then people like, Jerry, I don't want to bring food around you. I said, bro, I'm good because if I eat that potato chip, that's a matter of life and death for me. What if you thought that the gospel was a matter of life and death? What if you thought that the kingdom was a message that was a matter of life and death? Would you share it? Would you be the fireman or the police officer who sees the emergency? Don't you supposed to run to it? But if we're honest with ourselves, oftentimes we run away from it. And So today I want to charge you up with preach an uncomfortable kingdom message. Because that's what John the Baptist did. When you look at Matthew chapter 3, you see John the Baptist and his ministry and his story. And most of us do not want a ministry like John the Baptist because the stuff that John the Baptist is saying is harsh. It's hard. He ain't holding back on nobody. You're going to read in a couple of verses later, and I'll explain it later. Some people are coming. And, and he should have been happy. But he said to them, who told you broader vipers to come to escape the coming wrath? You ain't here for the right reasons. But church folks, we don't do stuff like that. See, we want our church our, our chairs filled. So we just let anybody in here. We avoid community covenants and having people assigned because we don't want to create obstacles for them to submit to the king when you see John the Baptist's ministry, he's trying to figure out, are you coming for Jesus or are you coming for something else? If it was a matter of life and death, don't you think it's wise for us to take advantage of every opportunity that God places us in? So let me start breaking this thing down. The first thing is I want you to do is when you preach. An uncomfortable kingdom message, it should point to the king. When you preach an uncomfortable kingdom message, it should point to the Messiah. See, oftentimes the messages that we preach are not pointing to Jesus. They are pointing to trying to get someone in a comfortable situation. And what Jesus is saying, let me take the wheels and the reign of this situation, and I will be the one who straightened the path out, right? Watch this. John the Baptist's mission was to prepare the way of the Lord and to make his path straight. Matthew chapter 3, verse um, 2. It was his mission to make his path straight. Now watch this. He was commissioned to awaken the moral decay of Israel that had been dormant for over 400 years during the intertestamental period. He was not only designed to do that, he was also designed to remove any obstacles that would prevent them from seeing the hope of the coming Messiah. See, when you preach an uncomfortable kingdom message, your job is to make the the, the way of Jesus so clear that people never walk away from you knowing what you're talking about. The path needs to be so clear that they don't confuse your anointing with the anointing of Jesus. See, some of you all's method, and even some of our methods, we're so nice, they like us. And when you get in a position where people like you and that's what you are going for, you move into Facebook status. See, some of us dislike like Facebooks and the likes we get. And the moment we put something up and we don't get likes, we get mad. Why are you mad? Because I put that up. You should like what I have done. Well, didn't you put the Facebook up as a public announcement? so that they can see the goodness of what's going on in your life, whether they like it or not? Isn't the message of Jesus a public announcement so that they may see the exalted king and who he is? And whether they like it or not, it is your position and your pos- uh, posture to lift him up. It is not about judgment. It is actually about comfort. How do you know that, Jerry? Well, watch this. In verse 3, they quote an Old Testament scripture, Isaiah 40 and 3. And before you get to verse 3 in Isaiah, there's verses 1 and 2. Y'all knew that, right? And in verses 1 and 2, it gives you the message Of the one who is crying out in the wilderness. Now what you have to understand. Is that the first part of Isaiah. Chapters 1 through 39. Is all about judgment. It's about judgment because Israel have sinned. And they have been under the captivity of Babylon and Assyria. But then there's this huge shift. This huge shift. Where he's about to talk about their future restoration. Watch this Isaiah chapter 40. You don't have to turn there and just um, write it down. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 says this Comfort, comfort my people, says God. You see what the message is? It's comfort. See, God says, when you give judgment, be also ready to give comfort. When you give the law, also be ready to give the gospel. When you give what they cannot do, tell them about the grace that God is willing to do. See, his first message is about comfort. Notice in verse 2 it says, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquities is pardoned, That she has received from the Lord's hand and double for all of her sins. That's not a message of judgment. The kingdom message is not to condemn. The kingdom message is to give hope. It is to tell a person where you are, you don't need to stay. Your past don't define who you are. The reason why you have hope is because you have life in your body and you get a chance to breathe. And John, the Baptist's ministry was to lift up the valley. It was to make the mountains and the hills low. It was for them to see the coming of the Lord. Why? So that he might reveal his glory. Why did I tell you all, all of that theology? Why is that even good news for you? Because Jesus is the one who is the coming hope. He is the hope. And when you proclaim this announcement to your brothers and sisters that God has entrusted to you, he is the one that you point them to. I was thinking about this. I was like, Jerry, how how can you make this plain for those? and And I started thinking about the nursery rhyme, Humpty Dumpty. When Humpty Dumpty fell, he called all the king's men. What if he called on God? would he have been able to put Humpty Dumpty back together again? (laughs) you like that. See, oftentimes we're calling upon the wrong person to put us back together again. The government is not going to save us. Let's call on the king. You're trying to fix yourself in so many situations, and you asking your friend for advice. you asking um, your therapist for advice. You're using your own education for advice. Why don't you go to the king? This Humpty Dumpty ministry don't work. Humpty still died. Go to all those other people and go put your situation back together again. Only Jesus can do that. So when people come to you seeking advice, open up your Bible. Quote your scriptures. Don't give them what you think. Give them what Jesus thinks. But Jerry, it's going to be uncomfortable. But does it bring life? I want to tell them that the reason why they're in this situation is because they continue the patterns and the cycles and the sequences of their past. And I just want them to be my friend. Then you don't love them. Now, listen, I've learned how to talk to my family. One of the hardest people to share the gospel with is your family. In fact, my mother has never allowed me to share the gospel with her. Never. Every time I bring it up, she shuts me down quick. And so I wait like a viper ready to strike. And she'll call me for some crazy stuff. Baby, I'm just, you know, and I'm like, yeah, mom, yeah, okay. You know, you 50, mama, you shouldn't still be fighting people, okay? That's not what 50-year-old people do, fighting. That's why your back hurt. (laughs) But I can't tell you what 50-year-old people should be doing. They should be walking in wisdom. You know where wisdom starts, mama? With the fear of the Lord. You see how I got Proverbs 1 through 6 in there? You see that? Yeah, baby, you right. You right. So the first thing you have to understand is that when you preach this uncomfortable message that your mission is to exalt the person of Jesus, because that is the only place where they and us and they and us can find help. But watch this. Not only was John the Baptist's mission to preach the message of the kingdom, But it was also to bring forth this uncanny message that makes it even more uncomfortable. Watch this. When you preach an uncomfortable kingdom message, it should call people to repentance. If you preach an uncomfortable kingdom message, it should call people to repentance. Look at verse 2. This is the message that John the Baptist was walking around preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, before I talk about repentance, let me talk about the message real quick. This message is so important that John the Baptist preached it. Jesus Christ preached it. When he sent out the disciples, guess what they preach? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And not only did they preach it, but if you look at Matthew even more, you see that the gospel and the kingdom are glued together so that when you tell somebody about the gospel, they, you are calling them to submit to the reign and the rule of God according to his kingdom. Everybody is preaching this message. This is the central theme. Of the gospel. Why don't we preach this message? Why, why, why don't we preach repent for the kingdom of God is at hand? Why don't we preach that message? All of us know the answer to it because that is uncomfortable. Repent. Repent. We don't even like saying that word. We, we, even when I'm saying it right now, you can just see people like, nah, man, I got better ways, better, uh, better systems to preach the gospel. You know what? That's the difference between having good advice and good news. Some of you all got good advice, but it ain't good news. See, good advice is based on what you think is best. Good news is based on what Jesus thinks is best. that's tough for us you know why because the word repentance is not just about an intellectual decision the word repentance is not just about someone being sorry the word repentance means that you are about to turn around to a new action It is to call somebody to radically change their life from the direction that they are going to the direction that God is calling them to do, and that's uncomfortable. But it's still life. Watch this. He says, the reason why you should repent is because the kingdom of heaven Is at hand. See what you are calling them to. Is not death. But life. He uses this phrase. The kingdom of heaven. When you get a chance. Go to your concordance. Go to Google. And look up how many times. Matthew uses the phrase. The kingdom of heaven. He uses it 30 times. Two times, when someone says something to you thirty-two times, they mean it. Just, just ask any wife in here. I done told you ten times to take out that trash, and you haven't done it. They mean that. When you find the trash on top of your car, then you know they were serious. <laughs> My wife done got to a point where she put the trash by the door, and I'm like, oh, dang, <laughs> okay. I got it now. And so why does he use the kingdom of heaven and not the kingdom of God? Well, the reason why he uses the kingdom of heaven is because he's trying to make a contrast between the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven. He's making a contrast between the kingdom of humanity and the kingdom of God. He's making a contrast between the kingdom that brings forth light and the kingdom that brings forth darkness. He says the reason why I want you to submit to the kingdom of God so that you may submit yourself under the comprehensive rule and reign of the great king Jesus. I'm not telling you to turn away from things that are good. I'm telling you to turn away, uh, turn to the person who is the best. Your message to the people of influence that God has entrusted to you is not a broken message. It is a biblical message so that they may live under a great king. See, Nebuchadnezzar was a bad king and yet people submitted to him. Herod was a terrible king and a violent king and people submitted to him. And all of us like Daniel and even the believers today was trying to get those people to turn away from those kings so that they may submit to the true and living God. That's what you are doing. I was about to say something else, but I can't because the spirit of God just, he held my tongue about government. I'm going to leave it alone. But we submit to the king. I don't want to talk about Big Macs and none of that stuff. I just want to submit to to Jesus right now. (laughs) You know where I'm going. (laughs) He says, listen, I want you to submit to the kingdom of heaven. And the reason why I want you to submit to the kingdom of heaven is because I'm about to do something radical in your life. The very thing that you pray for, the very thing that you call upon me to do, the very thing that fills those voids in your life. No one can fill the void like Jesus. No one can complete you like Jesus. But if you're going to do it, It starts with repentance. It starts with you turning away from the kingdoms that you have submitted to and the securities that you hold on to and the careers that you are pursuing. And it starts with you submitting yourself to the kingdom of Christ. I've been walking with Jesus now for 17 years. My first 18 years of life, 19 years of life, dude, it was hell. It was hell. And yet I enjoy certain things about that life. But when I met Jesus, I did what they in fact, here was this was my nickname and I'm gonna get out of there. In college I was still a little wild. I was still I was still fighting, I was still chasing girls, I was still doing those things. When I met Jesus, my change was so radical, they used to call me 180. Some of the people called me 360. They said I turned so much on the 180, you know, it's a complete turn. 360, that means you go around twice, right? They said I changed so much that they didn't even recognize who I was. And not only did it bring a testimony to an entire football team, but it also got me my wife. Before I knew Jesus, Tamara was not interested in me. The moment she saw me walking with a Bible, she was like, hey, what's your name? I said, I'm Jesus, brother. What's up? <laughs> well, technically, I'm Jesus, brother. I am. Wow. I told her I'm Jesus' brother. She's like, hey, and we got married. <laughs> when you preach a kingdom message, and she's just walking in, she didn't even hear it. Uh, <laughs> when you preach a kingdom message, it should lead to repentance. It should call them to change both mind and action. I'm going to talk about action in a couple of seconds. Here's my final and third point. When you preach a kingdom message, it should lead to lives that are transformed. When you preach a kingdom message, it should lead to lives that are transformed. Now, John's mission was to make Jesus' path straight, but his message was repentance. But his mandate was to baptize those who were confessing their sins. Now, there are two type of people who are going to respond to the repentance message. And the first person that's going to respond to the repentance message is those who uh, respond by confessing their sins. All right. Look at verse five or verse six or verse five. Then J- Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about Jordan were going up out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. When true repentance happens, then people will begin to confess their sins. The reason why that's important is because if a person don't, don't know why they need Jesus, then they can never submit to a Savior. If you don't know why you need a, a life preserver, then it is hard for you to scream out in the waters when you are drowning for someone to throw it. Confession of sin simply means that you are seeking forgiveness for the things that you are going through. See, oftentimes we we, we get people to come to Jesus. We We baptize them, but they don't know why. They don't know why. You ask them to share the gospel, and the only part of the gospel that they can share is, Jesus loves me. And while that is a part of the gospel, it doesn't tell them why Jesus loved you and how much Jesus loved you and what he went through to show you his love. Jesus died, y'all. He didn't hang on the cross and it was cool, like, yeah, man, I'm going to hang on the cross and I'm going to die for all these people in the world, but I'm going to get back up in three days. It'll be cool. No, the Bible says that he was in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating blood because he wanted that cup to pass away from him because what he was about to go through was to take on the past, the present, and the future sins of all of us. Jesus didn't just die for your sins when you you got saved. He died for your past sins, and he's even dying for your sins right now. He knew what you were going to do. He knew what he signed up for when he called you into that marvelous light. He knew it. And so he calculated on the cross. Okay, I'm going to have to die for this. Man, I'm going to have to die for that. Oh, man, I'm going to have to die for this. And for some of us, man, he, man, he got, he's, man, when he died for my sins, I'm just like, man. You, so you knew I was going, man, oh my goodness. I'm, I'm just trying to make sense. And I cannot fathom the extent. By which Jesus Christ went through, so that I may stand before God Almighty righteous. And so, those who respond to true repentance, they confess their sins because they know they are in need of a Savior, and then they move to this public, visible declaration of baptism. But here's the second person the second person. When they come to repentance, they don't come to repentance because they are sorrowful. They come to repentance because they got caught. They come to repentance because of the consequences of not knowing Jesus. That's who the religious leaders and the Pharisees are. That's when when they showed up. John the Baptist said, you broader vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. Watch that right there. He says, the reason why your, your, your repentance is illegitimate is because there's no action behind it. The reason why your repentance is illegitimate is because there's no fruit that is visible that is shown. Watch this. Fruit has three responsibilities. Fruit is visible. It is edible, and it reproduces itself. When you have truly turned away and submitted yourself to the reign and the rule of God, it should be visible. Somebody should be able to see it. It should reek of who Jesus is. And when people see visible repentance, they want a taste of it. They want a taste of it. Why do you act this way? Why do you respond this way? Why do you walk this way? Why do you act this way? They want to taste and see that the Lord is good. Quick story. I was playing basketball. This was during seminary days. My brother had came down to live with us, and uh, we was playing basketball. And If you've ever played basketball in the hood, it's physical. Right? You don't call fouls on the basketball card. Anybody can attest to that, right? You get okay, yeah. Oh, I didn't know you was hooping like that. But like, <laughs> like it's real out there. Elbows and stuff like that. You cannot call fouls. And this brother was like, he was pulling my shirt, he was elbowing me, he was doing all type of stuff. And my little brother was there. And my little brother said to me, he said, "Bruh, why don't you, man? Why don't you put hands on this dude, man?" Like, bruh, don't let nobody, bruh, you wag. I know you, man, beat this dude up. Brother's not a believer. So I simply said, I said, bruh, if I beat this man up, then it's going to kill the witness of me sharing the gospel with him. He looked at me and was like, bruh, what is wrong with you? I didn't want to kill my fruit. I didn't want to damage the witness that God had in store for me. I didn't want to do anything that jeopardized lifting up the king. And here's the last part. When you truly repent, there should be reproducing, production. Those who are submitting to the reign and the root of king, um, king and bear fruit, guess what? You can visibly see. The reproduction of the disciples that they are making. Preach an uncomfortable kingdom message so that it may lift up the king, so that it may call people to repentance, and so that you may lead transformed lives. And here's the final thing. Where do I do this, whack? Where do I preach this kingdom message? Where do I take it? Uh, tell me where to proclaim this gospel truth to people it first starts in your home it starts in your home are you preaching a kingdom message in your own home are you intentional with it are you consistent with it is it woven into the fiber of how you live secondly when you move from Your home, you move to your neighborhood. God put you in that neighborhood for a reason. And the reason why he put you in that neighborhood is so that you may be a light and that you may be salt unto that community. When you move from your neighborhood, then go to your job. I know some of us hate the job that God has placed us in, but that's okay. Okay. Because he's using it to develop the fruits of the Spirit in you. You see that? He's developing you to have patience. He's developing you to have control. He's developing you to have joy. He's developing you to do the very things that allow the presence of the Spirit to be in the midst of coworkers who don't like you, and all of a sudden they come to you when they have problems because they see the Spirit of God upon you. You do it at your job. I know you want the boss to get fired, but what if his heart was changed? Because a biblical heart that is changed causes him to live by kingdom principles. That's for another sermon. And then lastly, your city. I know gentrification is happening here in West Dallas, but where are our voices? Sometimes it's inevitable to stop what is coming, but we should at least allow our voices to speak up and to speak out when we see things that are being done that are unjust. And I know that they hate us coming. And I know when you go down to the councilman, they like to cut off your mic or tell you you only have two minutes to speak. But in that two minutes, you can share kingdom principles to cause those brothers and sisters to turn away. And to submit to the king. When you leave this place today, I'm simply asking you to do something that's going to be uncomfortable. But even in it being uncomfortable, it will produce life. Let us ponder on that while the worship team worship.